Uh, Take your Bibles now and open up to Colossians chapter 2. But uh, before we even get there, the first teaching of the day, today's a big day, October 31st. Happy... Starts with R, rhymes with Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day! Today's happy. Today's Reformation Day. It's why I wore my white shirt. Just kidding. I just wore because I wanted to. But anyway, today people. It's Halloween for some people, and that's awesome. And I was trying to explain the connection between All Hallows Day and and, and All Saints Day, which were Catholic uh, celebrations back in the day. And, and I told my kids that October 31st. I told them the whole story last night, and we have a couple of books at home. They they know this stuff. But today's also Reformation Day, and I just want to give you guys a little bit of how important the Reformation is. To to who we are as believers. Do you guys own a Bible? Anybody own a Bible? You have a phone with a Bible? Okay. You wouldn't have a Bible. You wouldn't have a phone with a Bible if it wasn't for the year 1517 when Martin Luther uh, went to his church with frustration in his heart. He said, you know what? This is wrong. The way the church is going and ordered itself, it's wrong. And here's 95 things I've come up with. I just jotted them down real quickly. And he put them on the door there at Wittenberg and he began to uh, knock on the doors. The first trick-or-treater. Knock, knock. You know, started knocking on the door there. And he, that's funny. And he pounded the thesis there and the reformation or the reforming of the church began. And this is where the Protestant or protesters protesting the Catholic Church at that time broke free from the Catholic Church and began to do one thing primarily, read the Bible. See, they didn't read the Bible at that time. Nobody in the church had access to the Bible except the priests. And Martin Luther said, you know what, that's, that's not right. Martin Luther so powerful in his Purpose. As a matter of fact, I was explaining to him last night. I was like, I told, I said, Martin Luther. My my kids kept correcting me. You mean Martin Luther King Jr.? You know, and I was like, No, no. <laughs> and do, do you know this? That Martin Luther King Jr. His dad's name was Martin Luther, and so he named his son Martin Luther King Jr. But neither one of them were born with that name. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dad, Martin Luther, traveled to Germany, learned about Martin Luther, the one I'm talking about, so impacted by his ministry hundreds of years earlier, came back to America, changed his name to Martin Luther, and said, boy, your name's Martin Luther King Jr., and changed his, his son had a different name up until age six. He's like, okay, you know, here we go. And I'll tell you what, I want to give you guys just a little bit of a, a history because Martin Luther was a big deal. He was a monk in the Catholic Church, but he began to be convicted and said, there's something wrong here. And I'll use a different word, conflicted. I'm going to use that word because we're going to see Paul use that same word in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 2. He says, I want you to know what great conflict I have for you. It's a fighting word. It's a a warrior word. And when Paul saw the church and he saw the word and he saw the world, he said, okay, this is a battle. Same with Martin Luther. And here's the three top things in his 95 theses that he wrote down. And number one was salvation is by faith alone. See, the church didn't know that. They were teaching that you can't get saved by faith alone. There's all kinds of other stuff. And you read the scriptures, you find out that's what it is. Number two, that the Bible is the only authoritative word that we have. Okay, it's not man's tradition. It's not man's interpretation. It's not your application. It's the word of God, the word, the word, the word. Number three, the most three uh, famous is that the, this is cool, is that the priesthood is for, listen, all believers. Now, when you read throughout the scriptures, you see Paul using that language that you're the priesthood. You're the ones who minister to God, and a priest really has two main job descriptions. A priest is to talk to God on behalf of people and to people on behalf of God. That's what a priest does. And now we're all in the priesthood. As a matter of fact, the five solas, some of you guys have heard this, the five solas came from the, uh, sola means singular, and the five solas came from the Reformation. The first one is sola scriptura, scripture alone. This is what we need, the scripture alone. We don't need all these other writings. We don't need all these other things. Sola fide was the second one. That's faith alone. Sola gratia, that's grace alone. Sola Cristo, that's Christ alone. And sola 
Dea Gloria, that's to God be the glory alone. So just a little bit of, little bit of historical data for what's going on. It's fun to teach. I had somebody uh, email me or text me or message me earlier this week as well. They said, hey, I, this is, I shouldn't laugh because they're probably watching home online, but they said, I just heard for the first time ever that Halloween was the devil's holiday. Is that true? You know, and I think I was like busy driving. I was like, what? You know, and I've gone through those rabbit holes and I've gone into the history of the, the darkness of the, the holiday. And I said, yeah, I said, Halloween for me and my family, it's not the devil's holiday we're not pagans. Raise your hand if you're a pagan. Just kidding, don't do that. But some people, you know, if you're a pagan and you worship the devil, then Halloween is your holiday. But if you're not a pagan and you don't worship the devil, okay, Halloween is just a, it's October 31st. It's just a tradition. We don't give it that much precedence, or that's the right word, credence. We don't give it that much importance at our house. Actually, I'll use a different illustration. I had somebody get really mad at me and my, my family for bringing a Christmas tree into our house because there's roots in pagan idolatry of bringing Christmas trees into your home. Did you guys know that? It's not a it's not an early Christian tradition. It's an early pagan tradition to bring a tree in and to decorate it. So this person said, I can't believe you're bringing in a tree and worshiping it. I said, hey, time out, time out. I said, here's the cool thing. We're not worshiping our tree. It's awesome. <laughs> they said, yeah, but somebody did 2,000 years ago. I said, I know, but, but we're not. We're not doing it. And they, they couldn't compute that. They said, yeah, but when you bring a tree in your worship, I said, no, we're just not doing it. We're not. I said, actually, we redeem it. And when we bring a tree in, I tell my kids, you know what, we have a tree in here, we're going to decorate it, because Jesus was crucified on a tree. And when this tree comes in, we focus, we spend the whole month of December, in our whole lives, really, focusing on Jesus Christ. And the reason why we put presents under it is because the three wise guys and the shepherds, they came with presents for Jesus, and they celebrated. The reason why we put lights on our house is because I have life insurance, and I don't mind being up on a ladder, you know? <laughs> And my prayer life gets so good when I'm up on that ladder. And we put lights on that because Jesus is the light of the world. And we use the three R's around here, redeem, reject, receive. And in any holiday, any kind of festivity, anything going on, any, any tradition of man, can, can, you, can you redeem it? Can you make it awesome? Can you, can, you, can you redeem it from the stuff that's out there and, and get away from that stuff? Or there's certain things in your life and in our world that you can just receive. There's just nothing bad about them at all. And it's like coffee. It's just perfect in all ways. And, you know... <laughs> Thank you. And then there's other things in the world that, man, you got to flat out reject them, okay? They're on the Big Ten, don't do commandments. There's things in the world. It's just silly. But in our lives, there's ways you can redeem. So one of the ways we redeem is by going to the historical uh, uh, story of Martin Luther on the Reformation Day. So uh, be that as it may, hey, we're going to get into Colossians 2 now. Everyone okay still? Talking kind of fast, talking kind of fast. It was cool. I went to bed last night and I woke up at three. Three o'clock was my first potty break and I just got up and as I was going through the, my bedroom, I, I prayed. I was like, Lord, I need the energy. Tomorrow I was praying for, I, I prayed as I went to the bed for, for today. I woke up with the burden of Sunday. And when I prayed, I used the word we studied last week. It just came to my mind. It was that same word that Paul said, that I'm laboring, I'm striving, I'm agonizing, I'm exhausted, and it's the work that works mightily in me of God. It's the Holy Spirit's power. And I was reminded even in that moment, and I made a challenge with the Lord. I said, Lord, would you just wake me up at 6 a.m.? I just got to get up at 6 a.m. And, and I looked at my clock next time. It was 6.03, and I said, Lord, I'll take it. You know, and, I, and, and I just want to encourage you guys as we get into God's word, where we're going to segue now into chapter two. Paul's been teaching us what it means to suffer and how to suffer well. And how we're going through life, and your life's going to be a suffering, and God's going to redeem your suffering. He's going to use your suffering. But if you're not careful, this idea of suffering can kind of put you back on your heels, can kind of put you down on your bum, and you're kind of sitting back and just kind of getting through life defensively. And every once in a while in Christianity, there is that defensive posture. 
How important is a defense to a team to win a game? Just ask the Beavers. Too soon? Too soon? Sorry about that. Okay. So, the defense matters. And so there is those times where you're not on the offensive, man. You're just, you're kind of on the defensive, but that is still strategic. God is still working. There are things in your life, even when you're on the ropes, things aren't going forward. Then there are those times, though, where you're on the offensive. Okay, you're moving forward. You're taking ground. And Paul now, I believe, segues in verses 1 of chapter 2, and he says it this way. He says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul is in prison. He'd never been to Colossae. We don't know if he'd been to Laodicea. He then expands and says, this letter is not just for you too, Colossae and Laodicea, but this letter is for anybody I don't know. This is for everybody. Paul, knowing that people were struggling and there was a conflict, there was defense and offense, there was suffering, and there was people moving forward. And Paul wants them to understand that he has a conflict for them because while in jail, he knows it's actually not going to get better, it's going to get worse. Now, I'm not a doomsday or even a prophet looking forward, but how many guys you kind of think in the back of your mind, it's not going to get better. It's actually going to get worse. Like, it's, like you kind of just prep for that. Like, it's going to get, you know? And, and if you've read the book of Revelation, you don't even know the half of it. Man, it's going to get way worse. And yet, Paul would say, what are we going to do about it? And here's why it's going to get worse. Let me just remind you of a few things. Because right now and throughout eternity, there has been a war on God. I, you shouldn't be surprised when things get bad. You shouldn't be surprised when your flesh shows up or when the devil is on the prowl or when it, because we're at a war right now and war is hell and it's not easy and there are battles. And so if you know the war is going, then you will find yourself moving forward and not digressing or disengaging. Here's the deal about the war that we're in. God's asked us to be a participant. He's asked us to fight and he's given us two main weapons of warfare. I'll just kind of summarize them. It's truth and Starts with L, rhymes with of, love. Jesus came with truth and love. Now just think about these two commodities, the truth. And when the truth shows up, it's like the lights get turned on, all the lies and the confusion and the conspiracies and the delusions, all are eradicated. The truth's so good. I mean, do you not love the truth? I love the truth. Jesus said in John 8, abide in my word and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you're gonna be free, the truth. The truth, but not just the truth, but we also fight the war that we're in right now with love. This is crazy because some of you are really good at this whole truth thing. Okay, like you hate lies, you hate sin, you hate people. You know what I mean? You're just, you're just a hater. You're like, you're so, you're just, it's easy to identify the, the stuff. And you're real good at the truth. Some of you are real good at love though, right? You, you just love everybody. You actually have maybe more non-believing friends than the average person. Maybe you would even be categorized as a, as a liberal believer. You're a believer, but you're, man, just so loving. I have no, and, and the thing about your love is your love is offensive because the people that you love, they need the truth. And if you have truth without love, we're just going to use a big word. That's called abuse. Okay, you're right. My way or the highway. This is how it goes, okay? No love. That's abusive. Churches do that. Churches cram the truth down people's throats because it's the truth. But did you know that if you have all love, okay, you're so loving, you're so open-minded, you're so just everybody, it's all good, man. This is, woo, big, wide highway to heaven. Everyone's going there. Did you know if you have love without truth, that's hypocrisy? 
this is crazy. We got to have both. This is the challenge. Because I've been so fired up on the truth, reading books, finding out where you're wrong and reading your mail, sniffing your sin and measuring your offenses, you know, and man, being a Pharisee. And I've also been on the side where I don't want to be offensive. I just want you to like me. I want to, I fall into that trap of humanism and man, we're, it's all good and you're okay, I'm okay, okay, and that type of theology. This is a battle. This is what we need to do. It's got to be truth, listen, in love. And so Paul's going to argue for that. He's going to show us what that looks like. And he uses this word conflict. Now, how many guys avoid conflict? Okay. I don't like conflict by, by nature. I just don't. Every once in a while, I'll see that my job requires some conflict, some, some uh, teachable moments, and, and some, some uh, strict leadership. And when I know it's from the Lord, I kind of get this like, excitement about it, like, this is the Lord. This is what he's called me to do. But in my nature, in my flesh, in, in my little boyness, I don't want to conflict anybody. I don't want to have to tell you you're wrong, or I don't want to have to correct you where the Lord says that we need to grow. I don't want, we avoid conflict. And yet Paul says, verse 1, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. I'm going to use this same word. Paul uses this word about a half dozen times in his epistles. I'm just going to read these scriptures to you. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.2. 2. If you're a note taker, you can write it down. It might be up on the screen. We'll see. It says, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Now, just I want you guys to know where I'm going with this teaching today. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. He's like, remember when we got beat up? <laughs> remember when we were in prison, me and Silas, and they beat us openly and, and filleted us? And remember that? It was, it was hard. And we were there, and that's how it was. It was conflict. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, he says, fight the good. See that? What's that word? Fight. Greek word is the same word, conflict. It's the same word, just translated differently. Fight the good conflict of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says in his last letter to Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. Same word, conflict. Fought the good conflict, kept the faith. Hebrews 12, I believe Paul wrote this also. He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the, the race. Same word, conflict. That, that word conflict means agon, where we get our word agonize. It's a race. It's a fight. It's a battle. And this is important in today's day because you might be looking at the world and the way it's turning and the way it's spinning and the way it's developing saying, what in the world is going on? Well, it's a war. It always has been. It's really no different in our day than it has been for the generations past. It's, it's not harder. We, we tend to think this is the hardest. This is the craziest. It's just because it's our turn. It's just because it's our turn everybody's had this. Can you imagine in 1517 where Martin Luther's like, man, it's a big day. It's a big day. I got these 95 things I wrote down and I can't email it. I got to deliver it in person because there's no mail yet. This is ridiculous, you know? And so he walks over and there's no, not even any mailboxes. So he brings a hammer and a nail. He starts hammers it there and he begins a war in love with the truth. It's a big deal. I don't like conflict. I don't like conflict. I like to be loved. I like to be appreciated. I like to be respected. I don't like to ruffle feathers. I just don't. And in that is a, the fear of man, the Bible calls it. I want to be a people pleaser. The Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. That is a trap. It's not going to take you 
where you want to be. And I want us to wrap our mind around this conflict imagery, this idea that things aren't okay. When we took communion just a few minutes ago, I, I referenced and read out of John 13. And in John 13, it's where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 are the last chapters before Jesus is arrested and killed in, in John 19. And it's basically just a few hours. Can you imagine that? It took us about a year to get through John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And it's just the last night of Jesus. And if you would, Jesus is conflicted for his boys. And it's not okay. And he begins with washing their feet. There's something that needs to get away from your life. And then he goes into teaching. There's things that need to be instilled in your life. We would call this warning and teaching. There's, there's things that are happening. One of the guys that was sitting there at that foot washing, Bible teaching evening was John himself. John the Revelator. John would go on to write John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. In the midst of all of his writings, they would attempt to murder John. They would boil him in oil alive. He'd be boiling and not die. And because he didn't die, they pulled him out. They were kind of afraid. Why didn't he die? Most people die like popcorn kernels. They just kind of die, you know. They were scared, so they put him on the island of Patmos where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he writes something in third, or 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, I've got it written down here. It, it might come up on the screen too. John said this in his olden days. He said, don't love the world or the things in the world, because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, he lists three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Those are strong words. And he nails it for us, those things we need to look out for. Don't you want to know the enemy like, that's coming out to get you? If you're going to go to war, there's going to be a battle. You want to know what kind of guns they have, what kind of mindset they're using, where, where their target range is. Who am I fighting here? And so John says, okay, the world is against God. So therefore, if you're for God, the world's against you. So don't get shacked up with the world, just kind of number one. And watch out for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And the lust of the flesh is just really letting your flesh dictate what you do, where you go, wanting more of what you already have, becoming worldly or carnal. The lust of the eyes, that's wanting what is perverse and forbidden, wanting what you shouldn't have, being sinful and deviant, calling it different things than the Bible does. And the pride of life is forgetting your place in the created order, just being more proud of yourself than you should. And if you're honest, man, in a war, we're all going to struggle with these every single day. You need to have this conflict against these things. And here's the, here's the big idea. Maybe, maybe, maybe this will help. Most of us don't rush out at the beginning of our wayward thinking and our lukewarm negotiating with our flesh. Most of us don't rush out and commit one great sin that ruins everything. Usually it's a slow progression. The water temperature changes slowly. We don't know that it's reaching boiling point. We're just kind of used to it. Most of us don't. It's kind of like a current in a stream. You ever been whitewater rafting before? You ever been just kind of like down there? And all, man, the, the river can change fast. I love whitewater rafting. My wife and I spent 13 years in Ashland, the Rogue River, and the uh, Umpqua River, and we'd, we'd be rafting. And so moving here, there's no, no rivers. But a couple of years ago, I took our pastors rafting uh, in Maupin, the Deschutes River there. And it was actually the same week that I met Pastor Adam Dirk, and we just met. I met him at the bonfire on Monday, and, and, and then we left the next day. I said, you want to go rafting with us? He said, that sounds fun. I said, well, don't, don't judge it too quickly. We'll see. And uh, so, so we went rafting. We drove over there. I remember we were rafting, and at one point at the end, we're just kind of having fun, and, and Pastor Bo's hat fell off. 
off. And so Dirk and jumped in the water to get it. We're just having so much fun. And as we're floating down, I realized where we were on the rafting trip, where we were. We're at the point where they call the pullout, where this is time you get out because anything beyond this particular section is no man's land. And usually there's some dangerous water features coming up soon. And, and so I kind of jumped into, we're having fun. And I started telling Adam, I remember this vividly. this Adam, we got to swim to the shore. We're like in the middle of the river. We got to swim to the shore. And he's like, ah, like kind of tired. I'm like, oh, I'm tired too, but this isn't time to talk about how exhausted we are. And we kept swimming and, and he couldn't get to the shore. And I remember we had been through this one particular water feature earlier where you actually get out and you walk 500 yards up the beach and you jump in and you just float down. You do it over and over and over. And there's a guy standing on the beach the whole time for if you go by, he'll throw you this rope. And you'll catch the rope and he'll pull you in. And Pastor Rory actually went too far and the guy threw him a rope. And so here me and Adam are floating down and Adam starts saying, someone throw a rope. Someone throw a rope. And I knew where we were on the stretch. I was like, bro, there's no, there's, there's no rope guys here. This is not here. And I remember, I had, I remember he's, a, he's, you know, we're about the same size, but not quite. But we're, you know, and I'm in the water and there's the water. And I came over to him and like a dolphin started kicking him and started pushing him and punching him. And it was like kind of, I felt kind of bad, but kind of enjoyed it at the same time. It was weird. And, and pushing him, trying to get him to go over as we're swimming. And we both made it to the shore and he had a big life jacket on. So I didn't, didn't break his ribs or anything like that, but it was, it was kind of a big deal. And I remember we just sat there looking at each other and it was fine, but there was a conflict to get out of this water that was taking us places we did not want to go. Anybody want to go rafting with Luke Frechette? Uh, I, I got more stories, but those are the only ones you're going to get. And we see this conflict throughout the scriptures. We see this conflict as the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes down and demands to wash our feet. I want to give you guys some handholds of Pastor Paul's heart and intention for you in this war. Such a good time of worship this morning to sensitize our hearts and, and maybe just get closer to the fire, be warm in the Lord, not so distracted by the things. The thing about Hebrews 12 is it tells us to lay aside sin. It's pretty easy. It's like, this is going to kill me. This is not good. But it also says to lay aside the weights that easily entangle us. They're not sinful. They're just not helpful. And you got to be careful in life, in this life, especially as an American, we have so much influence and so much resources of, uh, afforded to us that we can get involved in things that just aren't going to produce life and life eternally. And so Paul says, I want you to know this great conflict I have. And I want to just take two verses out of the last chapter, uh, verses 28 and 29. Uh, and he says this, actually just one verse, verse 28. He says him, this is what he has us focus on. He says him, verse 28, we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, listen, that we may pre present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. If you're a note taker, the first thing I want you to see is that what Paul is conflicted towards the most is that everyone would know him, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus first, it's Jesus next, it's Jesus last. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus saves, Jesus changes everything, Jesus is real, it's all about Jesus. And he says it in verse 28. He says, him we preach. This idea of preaching means you're sharing the gospel with everyone you go, everywhere you go and with everyone you know in one way, shape, or form. You might not have the privilege of standing on stage right now and preaching in this way, but you can tell the people around you why you do the things you do and who Jesus Christ is and the way you do things and the way you don't do things as well. Verse 28 goes on to say, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man. You guys know warning and teaching are two separate things? Warnings are kind of like extravagant and kind of fired up and hype, like watch out, you know, and all these things and beware and, and be careful. And those are warnings and those are valid, right? Those are valid. 
But it's different than teaching. Teaching is instruction. It's a little more calm. Can you imagine if you're driving down the road and every single directional sign was just warnings only? That's all it was, just warnings. Like you're driving north. It says, this isn't the way to Walport. You know, it's, you know, oh, it's just a warning. Like, well, what, what is the way to Walport? We don't know. And, and I just wanna, want you to wrap your mind around that because some churches, some Christians, man, they just sound the alarm. That's all they do. Hype meetings and prophecies and words of knowledge, just kind of warnings. And there's a place for that, okay? But what you really need, Paul says, we're going to present him, Jesus, to every man, warning and teaching. Teaching's instruction is the word of God. Make sure you go to a church that teaches the word of God. Not about the word, not from the word. Listen, it's different. Teaches the word of God. And commit the rest of your life to learning the word of God. This is what's going to keep you grounded. This is what's going to keep you moving forward. Starts with Jesus, warnings, but also teachings. Because we need to be instructed so we find ourselves how to move in the right direction. This requires relationships, requires life groups, requires Bible studies. I do most of my physical training these days at the CrossFit gym. CrossFit's new to me. I've only been a member for seven years. And before that, I was kind of a self-taught athlete. I just would uh, do it myself and do it my way. And then when you go to CrossFit, one of the advantages they have is they have a personal trainer there that helps you to know how to silence your phone and do other things where, you know, and, and uh, other, other things like that and, and how, to, how to do things that you need to do. It's accountability. Love you, Chin. And uh, so uh, that's why I think the church is different than just staying at home and doing it your way because we're in this together. And the big idea, again, is get Jesus, stick with Jesus, and grow with Jesus. And now let me just... Read verse 28 again. He says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Stop right there, eyes up here. Why does Paul have such a great conflict for the people at Laodicea and the people at Colossae? He's in jail. He realizes that every man, every woman will stand before their maker one day. See, Paul already had these meetings. Jesus had met with him. If you read his story, it's just crazy. He saw the revelation of heaven. He knew what was going on. He had faith. He's like, okay, with that great knowledge comes great responsibility. And now it's my job to make sure every man is warned and taught in order that they might be presented perfect to Jesus Christ himself. Let's just take that reality and let it motivate us this week to be different people. When you go into Starbucks, when you go into JC Market, when you go to Safeway, when you walk in, you look at the people. Okay, see them as those who will stand before their maker one day. You can't talk to every single person, can you? I try, but it doesn't work. We have a little ongoing conversation at home when I come home from Fred Myers, and everyone always asks me, how many people did you talk to, Dad? <laughs> you know? I think the record's like 42 people in one, one time. Just like, I didn't even buy anything. A couple years ago, I was actually training at the CrossFit gym. I was doing a lot of training, 5, 5.30 a.m. sessions, and then 8.30, and I was, I was on staff. And I remember one time, there was about eight people working out, and I was tired, and here I'm a, 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 a pastor by vocation and a husband and a dad and, and all these things, and I'm at this CrossFit gym. And I, and I asked myself this question, like, what, <laughs> what am I doing here? Why am I here right now? Like, what, where's, you know, I was tired, maybe, you know, under malnourished or whatever, and the Lord spoke to me in that moment. And the Lord said, not everyone at this class is going to heaven when they die. And, and all of a sudden, their, their form and their back squats wasn't the most important. It is important, but not the most important. 
and my relationship with them became very important, okay, then I will let the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of, I will be conflicted for them. And I will do, like it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it's the Halloween verse 10, 31, October 31, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. You work in a job, you're behind, you behind the scenes, you're not in the ministry, you don't even know anybody here at South Beach Church at all, you're not connected at all to the church, you're just here, okay, that's fine. Go out into the world and be conflicted for people because Paul says, they're gonna stand before the Lord one day. And that will drive you to get over yourself to look at them with compassion. Look at verse one again, chapter two. I'm, I told Esai, Pastor Esai last night, we're gonna get to verse nine, total lie, total lie. Uh, but we'll, let's see if we can get to verse seven. We'll see if we can do that. He says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for those who have not seen my face. I was just putting a connection together during worship. Uh, I don't know uh, if the Laodiceans got this letter and what it did for them. We do know in the book of Revelation that the Laodiceans were rebuked for their lukewarmness. They weren't hot nor cold. They just kind of drifted away. And maybe that's why Paul had this, this conflict for them because they weren't fired up for the things of God. And shortly thereafter, they'd be judged in that way. So he tells us in verse two, four things that he's praying for them, laboring for them, conflicted for them, that we need to be conflicted for ourselves and others. Let's read it together. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. That's real hope. Being knit together in love. That's real love. And attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. That's real riches to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Jesus, that's real knowledge. Paul says, if you guys are gonna make it, you need to have real hope, real love, real riches, and real knowledge. This needs to be yours. This is what he's gonna work toward, just like if an athlete comes into the CrossFit gym and I summarize where they're at, I say, okay, let's start with these implements. Here's how we're gonna get to where we need to get. We can do it. We have it all here. And Paul says, I'm praying for you, number one, that you guys would be encouraged to be encouraged is the opposite of being discouraged when your courage leaves you. To be encouraged is full of hope, real hope. And let me just tell you, if you're a Christian here today, you have real hope. Nobody wants you to tell them it's gonna be all right if you don't believe it. You ever have somebody tell you it's gonna be all right but they don't know what they're talking about? Or maybe you're in a condition in your life right now that they're just giving you platitudes and you know hallmark sayings, it's gonna be all right, and they pat you on the shoulder. You're like, you know, you wanna slap them. This isn't kind of like, suck it up, it'll be all right. This is a confident expectation of coming good. Christians have real hope in this world. Even as it gets darker, he has declared promises in the darkness to bring the light, to redeem the time, and to do his work and to fulfill his will. Now, if you're a believer, you have that, but are you walking in that, that real hope? I hope you are, by faith. I hope you can smile no matter what happens. When you see the news and you see the future and you feel the pains, you say, you know what? I have hope. It's not fake hope. The Bible calls it hope that goes behind the veil. doesn't make sense to us, but it's an anchor to our souls. That does make sense, doesn't it? Anchors keep us from getting drift, uh, pulled off course and missing the time where we're supposed to get out of the river keeps us where we're supposed to go. Not just real hope, but real love. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. That's number one. And then number two, being knit together in real love. Okay, love's pretty important. We talked about that love for other people, but did you know that in the church of God, in order that you might find yourself growing, you need to have that mature love as well? Mature Christians are peacemakers. You guys are the 9 a.m. service. You guys are all about this. The 11 a.m. service, they're a little more rebellious. That's funny. The 6 p.m. service, man. You run to the 6 p.m., we don't even have it right now. We can't, we're just still praying about it. Let me just put this on you, though. Be a peacemaker. I've been a part of the church long enough where there are men and women who come in the church and love's not one of their agendas. I'm not here to be 
loving. I'm here to expose sins. I'm here to mess with people. I'm here to be a prickly pear. I'm here to, listen, he prayed that they would be knit together. Have you ever had a garment on? Maybe your shoes come untied. Maybe a thread starts coming. You start pulling on that thread. All of a sudden, the whole thing's just wrecked. In Christianity, it can happen. You're in a journey. You're on your walk. You're running. Your shoe comes untied. It stops everything. And he says, I want you to be knit together. That's tied together. That's packed it together. How? In love. Love, 1 Corinthians 13, love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't condone it. It covers it. Keeps no record of wrong. Forgives. Doesn't celebrate in iniquity, but rejoices in righteousness. His conflict for them is, number one, that they would have that real hope, but also that they would have that real love, and also that they would have real riches. He says, in attaining to all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Stop right there, Isaac. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what I want the church to look like? like a bunch of rich, fat cats spiritually, where you have the riches of the full assurance of the knowledge of God. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Enough. Okay. Blessed assurance, where we know that we know that we know that we're loved, we're saved, we're cared for, we're forgiven, we're going to heaven. And when you have that assurance, you don't walk around like a poor person spiritually, you walk around like a rich person. And you're able to share with others in their poverty, spiritually. And you're able to not find yourself wondering, can I afford another day? Does the Lord really love me? Let me just help you because I don't want to unnecessarily offend anybody. But it is interesting to me, the amount of people I talk to in my Christian counseling and conversating, how many people don't know that they know that they know that they're saved? I'm just not sure if I'm saved, Pastor. I'm not sure if it's going to be enough. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Where, how, what'd you, here's my question. How much of what you can do is going to affect your salvation compared to how much of what Jesus has done that impacts your salvation? Let me just remind you, the two titles are Jesus is the Savior, you are the sinner. Okay? So you show up to the, the, the team meeting. He's the savior of the sinner. Like, I don't know if I did a good enough job. And he's like, oh, you did a great job sinning, bro. <laughs> you did your job. Well, I don't know how I'm going to get to heaven. It's like, well, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my job. Any doubt you have is self-focused. It can't be Christ-focused. Most of it is. Most, I, I, I've shared this illustration before, but I was counseling with this one guy, and he couldn't forgive himself. I said, is your sin bigger than Christ's blood? He said, no, I'm not even close. I said, okay, then stop acting like it is. Forgive yourself, forgive others, and walk like a rich person spiritually. The riches, that's what he says, of the full assurance of the knowledge of God. Settle it. We are rich in him. There's enough of what he has done to set us free. And if you believe that, if you know that, if you understand that, You'll be able to not only walk in freedom, but you'll set others free. Yes, last night I got a text from a friend in, in Hawaii, and, and she texted me, and her and her husband and their kids just moved there. And she texted me by way of encouragement, Pastor Appreciation Month, I imagine, but she said, hey, I appreciate you, and, and we're, we watch every service from the big island, you know. And I began to pray for them, because can you imagine being in, in Hawaii, being a Christian? So tough. It's funny, funny. And, 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 and I just kind of encouraged her back. I said, hey, hey, uh, I miss you guys too. And I said something, I wasn't even thinking what I was saying, but I said, keep shining bright right where you're at. 
And her response was very open and very honest and very vulnerable. She said, I'm trying. And I could tell she wasn't proud of herself and, and her, you know, whatever's going on. I'm, I'm trying. And I texted back immediately. I said, that's all he needs. Do you realize that? Where does your assurance come from? Well, if I get up early enough and if I work hard enough and if I know enough and if I say enough and if I do enough, maybe me and the Lord can have an impact. <laughs> Find me some verses. All the verses are contrary. Andrew showed up. He said, hey, I think we can help with the people here. There's a lot of hungry people. Got this crazy idea. It's kind of crazy, but I, it worked out when I penned it on paper. I got this kid. He's got a happy meal. He drank the Capri Sun. He already ate the Snicker bar. It's all gone. Oh, man, that's a horrible idea. He started seeing it. How's the Lord going to use this? And the Lord said, that's perfect. I'll take yours and I'll combine it with mine and we get to go. Five loaves, two fish, water into wine. Just do whatever he says. Let's settle the argument in the fear complex of assurance right now, okay? Walk in the riches, the full assurance of the knowledge of God for yourself and for the people around you. May you quickly, have you ever given somebody some money that needed money? Have you ever had that, the privilege of doing that? It's so fun. It's so fun meeting people right where they're at, just tears flowing, and oh my gosh, you know, it's so awesome. Can you imagine doing that spiritually to people who are down, depressed, can't forgive themselves, don't understand the grace of God, and you get to set them free spiritually? Be assured, you're forgiven. You are loved. You are cared for. And that then motivates us, by the way, to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, this is what his prayer is. The conflict is that they would have real hope, real love, real riches, and also real knowledge. He says, not just of the knowledge uh, of the riches, but to the knowledge of the mystery of God, verse two, both of the Father and of Christ. How's this conflict gonna be won, this war that we're in? You're gonna keep growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You're gonna keep reading books. You're gonna keep listening to sermons. You're going to keep reading the Bible. You're going to keep going to Bible study. You're going to continue to do these things. And man, this is a challenge for me. Seasons are different now. When I first got saved, I was single, no wife, no kids. Man, I could seek the Lord early in the morning, all day long, late into the night. I could go all over the place and seek the Lord. Then you get a wife and it complicates things just a little bit, but you're still you know, seeking the Lord in that way. Then you get two or three kids and you're like, oh my gosh, and it's harder and harder to do. But the reality is, is you still need to grow in the knowledge of God. Keep going. Keep reading. And I don't know, man, the, 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 the world has changed. We have so many freedoms and so many distractions. Remember when you were a kid? I'm, I'm 43 years old, so I was a kid like just recently. But remember when, when you were a kid and you would go on road trips with your family? My mom and dad are right there. And I would sit there with my sister and we'd imagine, can you imagine going on a road trip? How cool it would be to have a TV in the car. Ugh, all we have is these stupid ashtrays in the back of the Oldsmobile, you know? And remember, the, remember that back in the 80s and 90s? That was awesome, and now we got TVs everywhere in our pockets, you know, everywhere. And life is crazy, and the distractions are innumerable. And you got to defend that time with you and the Lord, growing in His knowledge. You can use your phone, you can use all these devices to, to become closer to the Lord. But that's what the conflict is. Look at verse three, He gives us a little bit more insight, a little bit more hope. In whom, that's Jesus, in whom are hitting all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is so good, by the way, by the way, by the way. This conflict, how are we gonna win? How are we gonna be on the offensive? What are we gonna do? Simply put, spend more time with Jesus. It's, there's no real other secret than that. Why? Well, I'll read it again, verse three. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you know that treasures of wisdom and knowledge don't come from Jesus? They, they're in Jesus. Big, big difference. 
It's not that we go to him for blessings. He is the blessing. It's not that we go to him for answers. He is the answer. It's not that we go to him for strength. He is the strength. He, he, it's him. It's him. He's everything. Because you can accidentally read the Bible, go to a conference, read a book, listen to a sermon, and oh my gosh, and not connect with Jesus Christ. And you become religious. You're either going to become one of two things, maybe three, but the two th negative things in your walk with God. You're either going to become religious or irreligious if you don't focus on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There are people who become religious. They actually, they get started with Jesus, they get saved, it's awesome, but then they kind of like go to the deeper things and now it's just about an organization or an experience or a title or some platform and they actually become very religious. Re have you ever met a religious person that doesn't know Jesus? Trip out. How's that even possible? Then there's the other side where we get become irreligious. If we don't continue to go back to Jesus, we're not gonna grow. We're gonna become less. I heard a story uh, read it yesterday in the commentary and then heard it in the teaching. Same story. I was with my son Noah driving to Florence. And, and there's a story of this art collector. And this art collector was collecting art. He's really good at it, super rich and basically could collect any art he wanted. He was looking at a, an art catalog and he saw this piece in there and he wanted it so bad. He's like, this is, I want that piece. And so he told the guys that worked for him, true story, the guys that worked for him, go get that piece. And so they went looking for it and they came back and said, we can't find it. It's just, we can't find it. And he said, well, your job depends on it. So try again. And they said, okay, <laughs> you know, when you put it that way, boss. And so they came back three months later. They said, did you find the piece? And they said, yeah, we found it. And we said, did you buy it? No, we didn't buy it. Why not? Because you already owned it. We found it in your warehouse. <laughs> you, already, you already had it, boss. You wanted it so bad, but you already had it. And let me just tell you something right now. In your needs, in your journey, in your battle, you're going to want things. You're going to need things. You're going to be so out to love. You're going to be so devastated. And, and the Lord say, it's, it's, all, it's all in me. You can find that in Jesus right now. You can find that in me. Your wholeness, your restoration, your peace. You can find that in me. It's so simple. I wanted to get to verse 7. It's not going to happen. He warns us down. He says, careful, there's deceivers out there. There's false doctrines. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. But he says in verse 6, I'm just going to read you a few more verses. I want you guys to see this. He says in verse 4, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Don't you hate being deceived? Don't you hate even worse being self-deceived? Trip out. There are people out there deceiving you, bad guys, you know, bad organizations. Ah, you know, we're all mad. Yeah, you know, and canceling people. Hey, let's just take a little bit of humility. Don't be self-deceived. In these areas where you have been convinced by your flesh, you don't need to get up early and seek the Lord. You don't need to plug your phone in, your spiritual phone, to the Bible. You don't need to recharge in his presence. You know the scripture. You've read Romans before. We're in the five by five by five reading program. We're in John, John, Schman. I've read John before. You know, I don't know. I'm busy. Careful. He says, I tell you this, lest you be deceived with persuasive words. He goes on, and I just want to look at verse 6. We'll, we'll pick up all these next week, but he says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's been a memory verse of mine for many years, and it's been a verse I've used with religious people or irreligious people, and the answer is this. As you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. It's all about Jesus. If you leave here, if I leave here today uncorrected, unmotivated, 
No, no real hope, no real love, no real riches, no real knowledge. Just kind of leaving the same. We're going to fight the same battles. We're going to come up with the same results. But if we make an adjustment here this morning and say, Lord, I just want to have more of you. This is where our worship set was taken by the Lord this morning. This is what the Lord wants to do. It's going to be a conflict. And it's not just a conflict against them out there, 95 Thesis on somebody else's door. It's probably, probably going to begin right here. As you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in him. How did you receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Such joy, such simplicity, such simplicity and faith. It was all about him, not about me. You ever been on a walk before? It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Me and Tom, been on a walk before. And in order to do a walk successfully, you simply have to take the next step. Just take the next step. We want the fast track and we want everything figured out in one move. And yet Jesus says, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you daily. I'll fight for you. I'll convince you. Yeah, beware. There's deceivers out there. There's crazy stuff going on. But I'm for you, not against you. Would you guys close your eyes and, and, and pray with me? Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name for Paul's great conflict that he had for the church at Colossae and, and Laodicea and, and those who he had never even met. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you would stir us up with that same, that same conflict that we would present Jesus to every man, warning them and, and teaching them that they might be ready to meet God one day. I pray you'd forgive me, Lord, for my lack of zeal at times and for my selfishness, for my cold heart. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, not only would we receive the things of God, but we'd give them freely. And maybe you're here this morning and you would be one of two people. You would either receive Jesus today and say, I want Jesus to be my king. I want Jesus to be my savior. I, I am a sinner and I, I need salvation. Or maybe you would be on the other side and you would say, I want to be those who tell others about Jesus. I want to be a witness. I want to share. I want to have a conflict for the people around me. If you're in either one of those camps and you want the Lord to anoint you to do that, would you raise up your hand right now to be saved or to share your salvation with others freely? Raise up your hand right now. By, by raising up your hand, you're submitting and surrendering to the Lord saying, thy will be done. You're not promising anything. You're not committing to anything. You're just a human. But Lord, in Jesus' name, my hand is up too. Would you anoint me to be a good husband, to be a great husband rather, to love my wife, to care for her, Lord, that she, that my conflict for my marriage might be the, the utmost of importance. Raise up your hand if you have a marriage that needs you to be in, engaged, to be about it. Or for my kids, Lord, that I would raise them and disciple them and teach them. In Jesus' name, my hand's going up. You need discipleship hands or strength for your kids. Raise up your hands, Lord, in Jesus' name. Or for my neighbors and my community, the people around that I know and don't know, that I would be available to them and love them. Lord, anoint me for their good, that they might be ready to be presented to you on that last day. And if you raise your hand to be saved, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, if you just believe that, you believe that you shall be saved. Give your life to Jesus. Let him be the king of your life. God, we thank you. We can put your hands down. Lead us and guide us. Bless us, Lord. We're going to worship and take communion at the 11 a.m. service and pray for Adam and the pastors. We're going to do it all again. Would you bless us and bless them and bless our community? Do mighty things, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. God bless you guys.